Ladies and gentlemen, today I'm speaking with Jason Mendelson, retired venture capitalist, former attorney and founder of many companies, and today being an inspiring musician. Uh, Jason's been a huge supporter of mine and mentor and just all around great guy. He's one of my top favorite guys coming out of prison on on everything you've done. So I want to say thank you for that. Um, And just kind of say, I'm honored that that, that's that's quite the intro. I, 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 Buck, you've been you've been great to hang out with. So it's been my pleasure. I appreciate that. Thanks, Jason. So, you know, uh, let's uh, just kind of jump into this a little bit. To being that you're an aspiring musician now, um, you know, what, what's your instrument of choice? <laughs> well, I used to be a professional drummer way, way back uh, in my teens, and had toured with some national artists and was supporting myself as a musician. So, drums is going to be my first love. Always has been. Uh, but I play bass, I play guitar, I play piano, I sing, uh, and I can engineer and produce. So, you know, right now, given the current state of the affairs and the virus, I'm a one-man band turning out music, playing all the instruments, and doing everything all by myself. Very cool. Very cool. does not surprise me that uh, you're multi-talented like that. So that's, that's awesome. Um, you know, if you could see any musician in, in live or dead, front row, who, who would it be? Oh, my goodness. Front row. Oh, my gosh. A hard one. I Can I pick two, maybe? Sure, uh, sure. I, I, I would have loved to have seen Frank Sinatra in his heyday because I've never seen a show like that. I, there's something magical about that Rat Pack and how he connected with the audience without pyrotechnics, without video screens, without any tricks. It was just an orchestra. And him. Right. And I think that would be a, an amazing experience. Um, and I and I think the other uh, other artist, probably front row, would probably be Sting. Um, the guy is so talented. I would love to actually see, uh, from a bass playing technique perspective, I've seen a lot of videos, but I'd love to see it up close and personal, what he's doing, what he's thinking about. I mean, his bands are super tight. He's got a huge career uh, as a rock, as a jazz, as a soul, as a you know reggae musician. Uh, I think that'd be pretty cool too. Right on. Well, two two interesting picks for sure. I mean, I, I have to agree with you. Seeing Frank and the whole Rat Pack probably together would be, oh. I mean, unbelievable. I mean, and like you said, just I mean, all it is is just a guy and live mu- musicians and just, <laughs> just making it happen. And right? just playing. Yeah. So yeah. so yeah. so pretty special. So give us a little bit about, you know, who, what, where of Jason, you know, you've given us a little bit of, of the sneak peek of um, teenager dr- drummer touring the rock scene. And how does that parlay into a, a venture capitalist and, and founder of many companies and, and, you know, extraordinaire, you know, you know, a partner at Foundry Group here in Colorado, that whole thing. So kind of walk us through a little bit of that. Yeah, well, I grew up in Detroit. Uh, actually, my first few years were actually in 
Detroit. Uh, most people use the word Detroit and don't actually mean Detroit, but I grew up a little bit in Detroit. And then uh, my mom got married to Robert Mendelson, who graciously adopted me and got me out to the suburbs, which uh, I will always have to thank him for. Uh, uh, I thought I was going to be a musician uh, up until I was about uh, 19 years of age and I got injured. And I really, really injured my arm in a way that I thought I'd never play drums again. So I had to kind of pivot immediately one day. And somehow uh, I really fell into being an economics major, which couldn't be more different than drumming. But I just found it really interesting. And looking back, it wasn't the supply and demand graphs. It wasn't the math. It was human behavior, right? I mean, most of what drives economic theory is human behavior, human uh, investment, human spending. I mean, we're seeing this right now. You know, you lock everybody uh, up for three months and, you know, what's happening to the economy, right? It's, and it's, I found that really fascinating. So I graduated with a degree in economics, got no job because, you know, I went out to find a job during a recession when I graduated and they looked at the resume and all they saw was drummer and econ major and they said, whatever. Uh, so I actually conned my way into getting a job as a software engineer at Anderson Consulting, which is now Accenture. I had taught myself how to computer program as a kid. I had an Apple II computer when I was 13 and managed to parlay that into a job, did software engineering for a while. And that's where I got an, uh, exposure to my first startup. Uh, Anderson had bought a company and sent me down to Dallas to help colonize it. And I got to hang out with founders and entrepreneurs and startups. And I said, oh my God, this is incredible. Um, anyway, along the way, I decided uh, I made a very poor life decision, decided I was going to be an entertainment lawyer. So I went back to law school. I was thinking, hey, I'm going to use my love of music. And now I'm sort of a, you know, a business guy and I'm going to be an entertainment lawyer. And then I realized I don't like entertainment lawyers. And I went back to law school thinking I was going to drop out. And then um, the startup thing hit my head again. I'm like, wait a minute, I could be a startup lawyer. And so I got through uh, law school. I went out to the Bay Area. Um, I was a startup lawyer for uh, you know years, and then I joined a venture capital firm, and then ended up um, uh, doing that. Uh, along the way, I started a company in Denver called SRS, uh, and obviously founded the uh, you know one of the co-founders of Foundry Group. Um, and so it's been a wild ride, and you know here it is, uh, uh, 2020. As this clock turned 2020, and I started thinking deeply about what I wanted to do for my probably final 20 years, maybe 25 years, certainly of, of good health. Uh, that's when I decided that I wanted to do this one thing that I've never really had the opportunity to do since I was 19. And I was like, you know what, with my, with my, with no blinders on, I, I fully expect I will fail miserably, but that's all right. I'm going to give it all my all in music. And we're going to see what happens. Well, I mean, if uh, your track record has anything to say, I, I don't know about failing miserably, but <laughs> but you might not become you know uh, Frank Sinatra either. So uh, um, no, I I can't I can't sing like that. I can't sing like that. Yeah. I'm not horrible, but I'm not Frank. Right. Well, that, yeah. I mean, that's that's a one in a in a millennial voice. I think. Um, Agreed. Um, so you know, you kind of spoke a little bit about growing up in Detroit and having. Um, your, your dad adopt you. What was it? What was child like before that in the actual, you know, Detroit, you know, people say, like you said, they say they're from Detroit, but you know, they're not. Or, what, what was that like for you? And then what happened to you that kind of turned that around? Was it that your mom got married and kind of got pulled out of the inner city or kind of? Well, I mean, the thing is when you're a kid, you don't know if your life's good or bad. You only know one life, right? I, I had a mother who loved me dearly and 
that was very important. But I remember asking, you know, do we? Ha- I'm hungry. Do we have any? Do we have any food? Um, the answer was no. <laughs> you know, uh, I remember you know the motorcycle gangs coming in, and, you know, sh- uh, shooting up, uh, you know, the, the, the apartment complexes. You know, there's, you know, in hindsight, it it, it it's it's crazy. Uh, I mean, but at the time, it you know, I was a kid. That right. was just my life. So they were formative experiences. They were formative memories. Um, you know, you don't forget where you come from. I remember, you know, one of the things my mom very early, there was, there was a, uh, at one point there was a, a grocery store called Farmer Jack. And I remember we always used to go to the same Czech person named Sue. And I, and I, you know, my mom and Sue would talk and they seemed like friends. I couldn't figure, even if it was a longer line, we would still go to Sue's line. And it turned out, I found out later, she was kind of slipping my mom some food and whatnot. Um, but, you know, it was, you know, in, in hindsight, yeah, I, I grew up uh, poor and, uh, but, you know, if you don't know any better, you make the best of it and, and, and hopefully have somebody who will stand by you like my mom did. Right. That's yeah. Moms, they make the world go round, right? They're amazing people. I have to say. Yes. So, yeah. Um, you know, and that era, did you, were you playing, did you get exposed to music then? Um, and did you start playing music then? And so was that kind of your, your formative thing? And did you, have like a little band that you guys were, were a click, so to speak, or running around together or. Well, I've been playing, you know, one of my first toys was the pots and pans because that's what we had, right? Wooden spoons and pots and pans. That's how I started playing on drums. And eventually I, I don't remember his name, but there was a guy who lived across the hall from us who, um, as my mother told the story, stole a Jeffrey giraffe drum set off the loading dock at Toys R Us and got it for me. <laughs> so that was, you know, I was playing very early uh, you know, I was, ta- you know, I, I, the Detroit Symphony Orchestra, they, they would give free lessons to kids. I mean, I've been playing drums longer than I really have a good memory. Um, so, I mean, there's bits and pieces, but, you know, by the time I was, you know, nine, yeah, I was, you know, starting to play in bands and orchestras and I was playing vibes and mallets and timpani and these damn instruments were larger than I was. I mean, it took me, I mean, I'll tell you when you're, when you're a little, I was tiny. I was, you know, even in high school, I was very thin. I was probably 130 some pounds. And, you know, in the marching band, I'm carrying around a hundred pounds of, of, of drums going, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I've played, played in pretty much every type of group you can imagine. Um, you know, my, my current band's a 10 piece funk band with a whole horn section and that's a whole bunch of fun. And, but, uh, you know, we'll, I, what's going forward as far as that, I don't know. I, I kind of have this itch to return to something smaller. Um, you know, we've, we've, I've had a good run the last 10 years or 15 years, I guess, with this band. Uh, that we've played a lot of big venues and opened up for some, you know, some big acts and whatnot. And I, I kind of, you know, I, I kind of look at the guy in the corner of the coffee house now going, man, that would be kind of nice. So, so we'll see what happens. Gotcha. Cool. Well, sounds like you're very passionate about music and, you know, that whole thing. And, you know, um, I guess that, that probably is pretty formative around that whole thing. And that, I can only imagine, I don't know about the accident or what, what happened to your arm, but I mean, that had to have been a devastating moment. I mean, like life changing, like what that, that just made you go, what the, you know, what do I do now? And, and you know, persevere on or, or change directions. And I mean, that it, 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 it was interesting in that I, I had, I've, I've had a lot of injuries in my life. I, I stopped counting. I don't know how many broken bones. I stopped counting around 30. Wow. I've had a lot of accidents and weird ones. I've been hit by a car before and spent some time in a wheelchair. I've, you know, kid next door decided to wake up in a bad mood one day and, you know, cold cocked me in the back of the baseball bat. And I fell off a tree house once. I mean, 
you, you name it. It's, it's, I've had some weird injuries. And I remember my dad telling me along the way, he was always concerned about drumming because he always had this premonition that my body would fail me at some point. And, then, and even though you've had a lot of injuries and stuff, you know, you're, you're a teenager, you're, you're invincible. I, I didn't feel invincible like most teenagers, but invincible enough that I'm like, come on, whatever. And then when an injury, it was, by the way, I was playing intramural football at Michigan with some friends and I you know, landed wrong and popped up. And I remember thinking, oh my God, my arm hurts. And as I'm jogging off the field, this woman goes, oh my God, look at his arm. And I, she's pointing and I turn around and see who she's pointing to behind me. And there's nobody behind me. And I looked down at my arm and I'll spare you the details, but stuff was not where it was supposed to be. Ooh. And I realized that I realized, oh boy. And as I'm in the emergency room, the doctor's like, hey, you're going to be fine as, as long as you're not a piano player or really want to type. And I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, your fingers aren't going to work so good anymore. And little, I don't know if most people know this, but when you hold a drumstick, you're not just holding it, but you're actually using your fingers to create speed. And so when I lost that ability, I, I knew the career was done. So it was traumatic. It was sad. I spent a lot of time asking why. Um, and I am, I, I got to tell you, it, it was probably the best thing ever happened to me. I mean, I, I wouldn't be here with you today. I would have not had this diversity of experience life. I, I think one of the things that I didn't know about my 19-year-old self that I do now is I need constant change. I, I love change. I love new challenges. I love change. And to some extent in music, you you know, when you are on tour, by definition, you're supposed to, every day is supposed to be the same, right? You're not supposed to play things differently every night. And, you know, unless you're in a jam band like Fisher, Grateful Dead, you, you got a script and you're sticking to it and that's it. Right. And I think over time that probably would have driven me insane. Gotcha. Well, I mean, so blessings come in, in weird ways, right? Um, we, we never know yep. what they might. You and I, you and I talked about that, right? Yeah. I mean, you've talked about one of your hard, hardest things you've been through turned out to be a blessing as well. So, I mean, I, you, I, you know that as well as anybody. Yeah. I mean, you know, my mind's a little bit different case of, of getting handcuffs put on and realizing that the next, you know, X amount of my life was going to be completely different than anything I'd ever known. And, you know, that whole experience, like we talked about, was just, you know, very traumatic and very, you know, why and the, the flood of emotions from acceptance to anger and the roller coaster right. back and through. And, you know, we I think when we were having that conversation, you were just about to go into sabbatical and you went on sabbatical for a while. Um, you know, what 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 brought that on the, the just realizing they wanted the change or. You know, and then, you know, obviously the outcome of that sabbatical, it seems like um, you made some pretty big moves. So this is kind of, I'd love to hear a little bit yeah. about, about that and, and your time in sabbatical. Because we talked a few times in it while you're in and you're like, this has been one of the best things ever. And, and you were so happy. <laughs> I was like, so, so happy for you. I mean, I had been grinding nonstop since 1998. Um actually you know early 1998 it was just a grind and yeah i had taken some vacations here and there uh, the vast majority of them had been interrupted by work and the ones that weren't i don't think i ever really mentally distanced myself from it you know it wasn't they weren't long enough to fully get away and when i got on sabbatical it took me about five weeks to actually calm down um which was a lot longer than i thought it was going to be and somewhere around week six I was, I'll never forget, I was with my wife and we were walking down the street and I said, honey, I'm happy. And she said, that's nice. And I said, no, no, I'm, I'm happy. And she's like, 
I heard you. That's nice. I'm like, no, you're missing the point. I'm happy. Right. And she's like, what are you trying to tell me? And I'm like, well, I, I'm just happy because I'm here. It, you know, there was nothing that made me happy. You know, before, it wasn't that I was a depressive or unhappy person, but I never really felt just happy for just being there. Right. And I'd reached that sort of nirvana, which really started a, a long conversation with myself of what, what I wanted to, to do. And, you know, I've always been a people pleaser. Uh, you know, starting with my mom, I always tried to please her. And I was always the superstar kid who got the good grades and did everything right and never disappointed anybody. And, you know, whatever I've done, it's, it's always been in a quote service industry, right? I've always done, I've always had a job that served other people and helped other people. And I think at some point after many, many years of that, I got burned out and decided that I wanted to look inward and I wanted to serve myself. I, I think one of the craziest things on sabbaticals, I started cooking myself lunch. And by the way, I'm a horrible cook, <laughs> uh, but I started cooking myself lunch every day and I noticed how happy it made me to take care of myself. Like, wow, I made myself lunch and it made me happy. And I was like, wow, this is a, this is interesting data. You should listen to this. And so, you know, I made the real hard decision that I was going to, you know, leave the venture firm that I co-founded with, you know, these guys I'd been with for a long, long time. And, you know, that was hard, but it's been, it's been incredible. I mean, you know, my timing couldn't have been better. I mean, to, to leave before the entire world fell apart, uh, that, you know, not having to deal with sort of that backlash has been lovely. Um, but it's, it's, it's time for me now and, you know, my wife asks, is this permanent? Is it six months? Is it nine months? Is it a year? And I said, I have no idea. And I said, honey, I hope you're not disappointed if this is a permanent thing. Um, you know, she's got bets that it won't be. I have no idea. I really, truly, honestly don't even have an inkling of what the rest of my life is going to be like. It's the first time in my life I haven't had a plan. Right. Um, it's do music, try to get good again try to become a you know a decent drummer again, try to be a decent bass player, write some good music, playing some things, network, see what happens. And you know, I think one of my talents that I've always had is I'm very good at identifying when I'm having good luck. A lot of people have opportunities to present themselves and they go they don't even see them. They just and I every time I have an opportunity, I think that I'm pretty good at processing it. So, I've already had some amazing opportunities musically which I don't want to talk about right now, but like some really interesting opportunities I think are going to come up in this year, assuming that uh, live music happens again. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to spend at least this part trying to be a little more selfish and taking care of myself and serving me for the first time in my life. Yeah. I mean, good for you. I mean, you know, when we were talking pre-sabbatical and you, you were still just thinking about it and we were talking a little bit about, you know, my journey. Um, and, and I was sharing with you on, on you know, that hardship of, of getting locked up, but then that becoming a, a true blessing on this. You know, I had nothing but the time to think about myself and take care of myself. Right. Yoga, meditation, you know, unfortunately, I wasn't, I, I made myself lunch, but it probably wasn't as good as the lunch that you made yourself. <laughs> I, may have, I may have had, I may have had better supplies and sharper knives. Yeah, for sure. I can, I could guarantee that. Um but yeah, so, you know, and and it's, it's just interesting that when you actually do get to have that time, right? And you get to go inside and then realize, you know, you don't need the pressures and, you know, whatever else is going on that it, I can be happy. I can, you know, I, it's me, right? And it's, it's just having that moment. You don't have to have the next 
thing going on or the constant things you can just be like you know just accept how things are and, and it's actually becomes beautiful and it's, it's kind of an amazing thing um and so it sounds like you got the you know decompress and get to that moment and it's it's like you said it's just kind of like you can just kind of stop and look around and be like well you know for me it was a you know looking at a chain link fence and walking around a dirt yard, but I was just like, you know, I mean, I'm happy. <laughs> I mean, it's not, you know, <laughs> so. It's a change of pace is good. Yeah. Um, you know, we met um, in prison, which is, you know, kind of funny to say. Um, I think it was the first. I don't say that about a lot. Of, I don't say that about a lot of people, but yeah. 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 It's, it's, yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's 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 always so funny for me to say that when I, I have a guest on that I've met in prison. I'm just like, <laughs> we met in prison, and you weren't in prison. I was actually in prison, and but, but we met in prison. How's how did I that- was just visiting? <laughs> yeah, good for you. That's the only way to, to go to prison, by the way. Just go there to visit. Don't 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 take the full ride. I do not suggest that. Um, so you know, with the fi how. How did you find the fire? How did you get involved? And I mean, now you're a huge proponent and supporter of redemption and, and people's stories. And you're still, you know, this, like you're saying, you've always service been service and you're still very geared that way, obviously, because of what's going on and, and the support you're giving a lot of individuals. Um, so thank you again for, you know, your and Jen support. I wouldn't be here without you guys doing what you guys have done for me. So thank you. Um, Sweet of you to say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, I mean, what, what kind of started that for you with, with Defy? I mean, you know, you're a venture capitalist, you're going into a program, walking into, I remember, you know, all of you guys coming into prison, everyone's eyes were like, whoa, you know, <laughs> we're here, this is real. Um, you know, what kind of, what, just kind of tell me a little bit about that, because I've always been curious what, what got you involved with that and like that first day you you know stood up and made a huge commitment to make it happen in Colorado and, and have been there ever since then so you know thank you but um you know what how how did that happen I, I've never heard that story what well, well I I'd say the first thing is I'm wired to help the underdog I've I you know I grew up as an underdog um I have a long track history of, of helping the underdog and, you know, started in elementary school when I'd go try to beat up the bigger bullies who are beating my smaller friends up on, you know, it, it's just, I don't know, I've just been wired to, and, and so um, that's just my DNA. And then when, you know, the first time I met some folks from Defy National that were thinking about creating a Colorado, there was, it was a small conference room at, at the, at Foundry Group. There were, I don't know, I think dozen us in the room. And, you know, we were looking not only the the efficacy of the program and the statistics of people not returning and, you know, the great work. And then you start thinking, you know, how many people in this country have been marginalized? You know, was is it a prisoner? Is it stay-at-home moms? Is it different racial ethnic minorities? I mean, there's a ton of opportunity in the United States, but there's also a ton of hurdles for some people who may not deserve them. And, you know, to hear this about the talent that was behind bars, um, you know, to realize that all of us probably have done something that could land us behind bars, right? You know, you, you know, one of the things we do at Defy Step to the Line where we, we talk about things that we've done or not done, you know, I mean, the, for me, look, the difference is, 
Sorry for me. You I'm got not... caught. Yeah, no, the difference is you got caught. Yeah. Yeah. Well, right. I mean, that was one of the most you... powerful moments too. That step to the line. Right. I was just like, yeah. Wow. That I mean, that will right. bring you face to face with humanity, another human connection that I don't know if it's possible to get that kind of connection with a stranger without that kind of setting. I mean, no, it, it's 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 powerful. Yeah. But we were sitting in the conference room and I was thinking about this is really, this is amazing. Like, this is great. This, there's talent here. Um, I also love that it's, it's more or less apolitical, sort of like, it doesn't matter if you're conservative or you're liberal or you're moderate or what party or there's something for everybody in this, right? There, you know, people, there's some people on the far end of the spectrum who don't want anybody in prison forever, no matter what they do. Um, and yay, we're getting people out and they're going to, you know, blow up, be successful. And there's people who want everybody locked up for everything, but don't want to pay for it. Oh, here's a way that I can get people out. Then I don't have to pay for them. Like in whatever there's, I kind of loved that. It was the subversive underdog that there was really going to be no enemy, uh, against the plan. And we were sitting in the conference room and they said, look, we're going to try to raise a hundred thousand dollars to start the program, do the exploration, talk to the departments, of justice or uh, prisons in Colorado, put together a program, you know, but we're going to need to raise a hundred thousand dollars. And the faster we can do it, the faster we can get running. And I said, okay. And I looked around the room and I said, let's just do it right now. Come on guys. And I got the room collectively to donate a hundred thousand dollars. And the program was born that minute. I remember the people who'd come from national were looking at me like you, you're either crazy or insane. We don't know which. And then I had to go home and tell my wife, Jen, Hey, you know that rule that we're not allowed to do charitable stuff um, and without asking, well, I broke the rule and I hope you don't hate me. Um, and so I told her what it was and she thought it was the best sounding thing she ever heard. So, um, you know, she's, uh, so she's, you know, massively supportive as you know. Um, and so that the program was born and then basically Jen and I used our network to get all of our friends and mentors and connections in Colorado and, you know, we've had, you know, two governors who've come visited and we've had a whole bunch of people from elsewhere. We're now I'm super excited uh, that we're, we're having these same people do an entire video course. We're going to actually duplicate the entire Defy curriculum on video right. that can go into all the prisons in the state of Colorado, even ones that we don't have access to, right. that we can get the content in there. And I don't know. I mean, why am I passionate about it? I don't know. It's awesome. It's a totally underserved community, the people I've met, both people like you who have gotten out and other people who will never get out. Right. I consider my friends. Yep. Um, and, you know, I think every, uh, there's, there's this cliche, everybody deserves a second chance. And for some cases, that's true. I, I believe it. But I think one of the things that I learned and defies a lot of the, the, the guys that I was speaking to never had a first chance, you know, you, you, you and I had first chances and whatever we, you know, you make right. some mistakes along the way and whatever the difference is you got caught. I didn't, but we're very, very, very little different between you and me. There are, as you know, oh, people in there, the majority who were born in this, the majority who were born into situations that needed to eat and be loved and sleep and have clothes and did whatever it took to have those basic human necessities and got on a path that got them in that, that prison that they never had a first chance. Yeah. And to be able to give some of these guys a first chance to me, that's immensely, immensely powerful. I, I mean, I couldn't agree more. And, you know, living in there, like, like you just said, there, 
is i mean some of the stories that you hear you're just like man you you don't you don't even know any better i mean like you don't there's just like what you were born into and how you were brought up like you you didn't even know what you were doing i mean once you got older you probably knew a little bit but i mean some of these guys got born and doing some crazy things very young it was like you just said in detroit you know people just driving by and doing shoot, shootings and things like that. I mean, that's a nightly thing for a lot of children and they're born into, Hey, run this over to so-and-so and not even knowing what it is. And they're already in the drug dealing game before they're, you know, 10. That's so, I mean, one of the guys we know, he, he killed his stepfather who was beating his mom up every night. He shot, he shot his stepfather dead when he was eight. Yeah. And they stuck him in juvenile until 17 and let him out. Oh my goodness. Really? What did you think was going to happen? Yeah. Like, it, it, like what, what outcome, what good outcome did you think was going to happen? You know, and, and we failed him as a society, right? That eight year old didn't need jail. That eight year old needed love and a family and some education and some rehabilitation and a lot of mental health. Right. But no, just, just lock him up. I mean, come on, nobody who's eight year. I mean, again, nobody disputed that, 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 that the stepdad was beating up his mom every night. I mean, that there wasn't even a question. It was, well, he killed, he, you know, it was just crazy, just absolutely crazy. And there's tons of stories like that. Yeah. More than you would think, um, which is, is, is sad. And then the other part of it too is, is that once you get into that system, the, the claws that they put into you, like I see, you know, I'm constantly pulling one of these claws out and I, um, and I, I'm doing a pretty good job at it, but I mean, they remind me daily that they still have their claws in, you know? So it, it's, it's not only that, if, and I, I mean, I'm blessed. I have a lot of support, a lot of love. You guys have, you know, stepped up to the plate in a huge yeah. way and, and given me a chance to make this a reality. And just, you know, so much, but there's so many guys that get out and don't have any opportunity or have not had anything in the past and it's just come straight out into a situation. And, and what do you expect them to do if you just dump them on the street with a hundred dollars in their pocket? I mean, they're in a... I don't know, <laughs> but I mean, look, we're, you're, we're, you know, for some of your listeners out there who may not, may or may not know this, which one of the things I learned when I went to prison is you can literally serve your entire sentence in solitary confinement. You've finished your sentence. So there's no parole. Right. You're done. You've served your debt. And they literally open a door and release you to the outside world after being in solitary confinement for 10, 15, 20, whatever years. Oh, my God. Yeah. With, with a backpack, <laughs> one pair of clothes, a pair of shoes and a little backpack. with. You don't even know how to talk to anyone. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't know how to look at somebody. You don't know how to shake a hand. You, I mean, I mean, a feral cat's got a better chance uh, of, of surviving. Yeah. And I mean, it's just very, very bizarre. And so, you know. I was very passionate to, you know, long-winded answer. I was very passionate when I first heard about it. I became more passionate about it as we got involved. Um, you know, the, uh, it's still early days. I think we're four years into it. So, I mean, it's, it, you know, this will be in 10 years, we can look back and say, Hey, did we make a difference? Um, you know, I, I, this is not a quick thing. I want to, I want, you know, I want six years from now, you know, to look back and say, man, Buck really did a great job like that. He's living a good life and being the best person he can be. Yeah. That's success. Right. And, you know, I want a hundred more of you or 200 more of you. Yeah. Um, possible, and, you right? know, it's interesting as, as people, as our graduates at Defy are coming out, you know, we, we had, we were on a, a zoom call not too long of, I won't mention them by name, but you know who I'm speaking about. We were two people actually right. who, you know, are out, who are graduates. And it's, 
it's really, really exciting. I mean, really, really, truly exciting. Yeah. And it seems like more and more are getting out. Um, so the, yeah. the, the community of us, because when I got out, I was like the, the, the lone ranger, so to speak. I was the only one. Yeah. Like, oh, guys. You were number one. You were the first guy. I was the first guy out. And it's like, how? what do we do now? We have someone out. We're, we're a good, great in-person program, but what do we do with these guys once they get out? And it's, you know, we're, we're, we, you know, like any good entrepreneurial organization, sometimes you just got to make it up and go with your guy, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. any good entrepreneur, look, the worst thing an entrepreneur can do is not make a decision. Right. That's not acceptable. Right. A wrong decision is better than no decision. Agreed. And so, you know, I, I'm of the mindset, ask for forgiveness, not permission. Yep. Same. You know, lead, lead, lead with a good heart. Yep. Um, you know, uh, as cheesy as this will sound, every night while, uh, before I go to sleep, when I'm brushing my teeth, I look in the mirror and say, are you proud of yourself, what, what you did today? The answer is not always yes. Right. Um, but, it, you know, it keeps you balanced and keeps you honest. And, you know, if that's sort of your true north, you'll, you'll screw up plenty, but at least you'll, you'll have the right intention. No, agreed. I mean, it's, it's, you know, once I got out and like the whole path that you guys kind of laid out for me and, and the opportunity you give me has been amazing. And, you know, the, the time in the reflection of, you know, before I was kind of a jerk, I was, you know, assholeish and, 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 you know, but, you know, taking the time that time in, like I said, one of the best things that ever happened to me to, to realize like, what was I being an asshole about? I was like, no need for that. I was like, and just learned how to be nice and, and, and how to accept things and just realize that people can, you know, make mistakes and, and it's okay. Yeah. You know, it's like, we all make mistakes. I, I made a huge mistake and, and people have forgiven me and are working with me and I'm, I'm great, great opportunities. So there's no really need for that. And that, that was a big revelation for me while I was in the, the kind of, come to terms with some of my behavior and like you just said this realize that you know it wasn't being the best person i could be or or anything and so you know really kind of taking that time to step back and as you said lead with the heart that that hits hard on on you know like with with the whole art for redemption thing on, on leading with the heart and just seeing how much talent there is in there that just won't have that and just having a chance to you know give back a little bit to that community and Yep. thing is amazing and just being able to showcase some of that and, and hopefully bridging that gap a little bit because of people you know art has bridged so many gaps and been the medium for so many things for millennial you know so it's um it's interesting to kind of see how this is, is playing out and then obviously the way of the world now i mean who could have forecasted this but you know it's um it's a whole nother thing. Crazy. It is crazy. And it's, um, it's interesting to, you know, kind of, you know, a lot of people realizing the quarantines or self isolation and being in isolation and, and the, the correlation that people make it to it being in prison. Um, and I'm just like, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> I'll drive you nuts. Um, a little bit, not too bad. I, I just kind of laugh. I'm just like, yeah, I mean, you know, no, it's not the same at all. <laughs> no, no. I, I see that. I see that. And I try not to like go too crazy. And look, I've never spent a night in prison. I've spent, you know, 
uh, eight or nine days in prison. Yeah. Um, and I've spoken to enough people like you that I'm like, that's not really the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's nowhere close. Is it like you know, kind of a no. joke with my friends or whatever? They're like, well, how are you doing? I'm just like, oh, this is cakewalk. Yeah. What are you talking I'm like, this is nothing. I'm like, uh, I'm happy as I can be. I was like, this is great. You know, I don't know. Yeah. You know, it's, you know, yeah, we can't go run off to the mountains and go snowboarding or we can't, you know, do certain things, but like right. I can tell you the alternative of, of this is way worse. So be happy. Yep. Um, yep. I agree. Yeah. You know, you talked a little bit about, you know, the next six years or whatever for the, the impact that you'd like to make with defy, you know, you know, what, what, how do you think that that impacts the community and what, what would you like for that to kind of come from? I mean, you have an idea from that. I mean, you've impacted my community immensely. All my friends, you know, are grateful for you guys and Defy and, and the opportunity you've given me. And, you know, I hope that other friends and other families, you know, get that same. Is that kind of, what do you, what do you it's a piece of it. It's a piece of it. I mean, you know, one of the, so, yeah, I mean, it, there's a lot of communities. The definition of community is what's interesting, right? There's your community, Buck, right. which I want to be a positive impact on. Yep. There's my community, which I want to change minds and opinions about what it, what it is to be an incarcerated individual and what the, uh, the, the possibilities are for those individuals. Um, and then there's the larger community and whole, the state, the, 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 the nation, which is we are not optimizing optimizing the labor uh, force that we have, and you know one of one of my friends uh, who I met when he was a professor at the University of uh, Colorado Law Schools, Phil Weiser, who's now the Attorney General uh, of the State of Colorado, and one of the things he was talking to me about before all this craziness hit was developing a program where employers are certified that they have programs to actively recruit people who've been previously incarcerated, right. giving them jobs and having extra, uh, you know, and, and, and pooling best practices together and having extra resources um, because it's, you know, hard to make that transition. And that is something that Attorney General Weiser is extremely interested in, m much from the information that he's learned about, you know, Defy when it came to Colorado. I think if you would have asked him before he ran for Attorney General, if he knew much about about that, he probably wouldn't have. But you know, he's he's been a great supporter of Defy, and that's sort of his community that he's caring about. So, you know, that's at least three communities I care deeply about that I think we can have a real big big effect in ten years. Right, I'd agree. I mean, you guys, you guys are doing a great job as far as affecting you know others' communities and others' lives. I know, you know, all just working with Defy on, on when people get out and having someone there it's impactful um and it, it takes yeah. more than just a family member it takes you know more it takes you know someone that's potentially been through it and been like hey i get it i understand it. you know just don't keep your head straight don't you know keep the, yep. walking that exactly um you know it's that mindset of you know change that mindset from the criminal mindset over to the entrepreneur mindset and, and just realize that you're making decisions all the time on how it will affect the rest of your life and while you're still in the halfway house or if you just got out and they're still you know got your claws on you got to walk a very tight line for a while and you know then it starts to loosen up and loosen up and you can start to enjoy things a little bit more but do not 
do not put yourself in any kind of position that you're just going to cause yourself to turn around. And I, I constantly preach that. I'm just like, don't, don't just play the game, be nice and, and be happy that you're, you're not inside and, and just remember that you don't want to go back. So. Um, well, remember being an entrepreneur is way more powerful than owning a gun. Right. I mean, I, I, you know, thinking you're powerful because you have a gun Good luck with that. Being an entrepreneur, being able to support yourself, being able to, to uh, affect change upon your community, being self-reliant, that's, there's no more power than that. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, just to have that mindset, like, you know what, whatever happens, I'm going to be fine because I'm going to find something. And if I can't, I'm going to just make my own thing. I mean, come on. You know, you don't sit there worrying, what am I going to do? How am I going to eat? What what do I have? Like, no, it's, you know, take control of your life. Yep. Um, not everybody can do it. And I'm not saying it's easy. And, and, you know, we, we try to work with people to defy who we believed our program like that sort of inherently, but may have not had the opportunity to really test out that program. Right. No, it's amazing. So you talked about always, you know, fighting for the underdog. Do you, uh, do you have a hero? Do I have a hero? Wow. That's a really good question. I don't know. I've never been asked the question before. I mean, I, I, pro I have a, probably have a couple heroes. I think, I think one of my biggest heroes is, was my high school band director, Paul DeRubis. Okay. Um, when I got to high school, uh, it, I had a rough go, and um, a lot of the upperclassmen were tough on me because they knew there was this hotshot drummer coming up, and they decided the best way to deal with it was to basically do everything bad to me that they could and, and try to break me, which they did. And he he wouldn't let them. And he, he was the guy who kept whispering here, like, don't let him. He's like, look, I'm not going to give anything to you, but I swear to God, if you keep on this, you know, it's going to be months. They're going to be, you know, sucking on your exhaust pipe, like just keep going, Jason. And then I, I lost my mother in high school and he was also there for me then and, and took me in as a, as a son almost. Um, and so, I mean, he, he's definitely a hero. Mm -hmm. um, of mine. I, I, I would, I would say that that's somebody who I, you know, I still talk to him today. I don't, I wouldn't be here today without him. And he had, you know, I, I think, you know, besides the generic, most teachers are heroes and all frontline hospital workers and first responders are heroes. To me, he was a, he was somebody who put on a cape and it was a hero to me when I needed it. That's awesome that, uh, you had someone kind of step up for you like that. I mean, you know, how, you know, Think if you wouldn't have, right? Like you just said, you wouldn't be in here. It would have probably been a completely different outcome for for you. And and that's right. Um, as as we've seen, um, me firsthand through a living situation, and, and you going and visiting and talking with multiple guys and ladies, on you know the without someone like that, a, a pivotal decision can be made that changes a, a life in a in a very different way. Um, so. It's amazing to have a, a person like that. Um, Everybody needs help. Yeah. Any, nobody can do it alone. Yeah. This, this thing called life's way too hard. Yeah. Anybody who thinks they can do it on their own, they're wrong. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. I, st I still need help. If, if my wife wasn't around, I would be a basket case. <laughs> well, she's, she's another amazing person as well. I mean, uh, you know, you two are a very dynamic couple and, and, and beautiful, beautiful at the same time. So, um, well, one of the two of us, we'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll give her that. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, one, a uh, couple of questions here for you. Another little fun one here. Um, you know, kind of to go on our, our opening question, anyone in the world live or dead that you could pick an, 
a, a activity with that you would either dinner or playing a game, whatever it might be, and getting to have a conversation with, who would that be? Wow. Any activity? Any activity. Well, I would, I tell you, my, my ultimate activity for getting that person, I'll answer your question. The ultimate activity is I would, I would love to play drums in Steely Dan's Steely Dan band for, for a night. Like that would be, if I could just do that for one night, I'd be like, I might drop them out. Like I probably, probably retire as a musician and got to find something else. Cause that band, that's about as hard as it gets. And I would love to love to see if I could hang with them as far as a, a human being. Um, there's a lot. I mean, there's there. I mean, uh, there's so many people that I could think of that I, I would want to spend time with. I mean, I would, I would find it probably amazing to sit with Robin Williams um, and just see how he processes creativity. I mean, that guy is so fast, so much smarter. I mean, maybe I wouldn't even be smart enough to hang with him. I don't know. I mean, there's a very real possibility I wouldn't even get anything from it. And I would say, Hey, Buck, can I have a do over? <laughs> uh, but I was so, I was, I've always been in awe of, I've always been in awe of people who are really smart. I am in doubly awe of people who are really smart at that speed. And I am truly humbled by people who have both of those that seem like that they're humble and have empathy at the end. Yeah. And, you know, and uh, there's, uh, there was something about him to me that was always like, Oh my God. And it's, you know, obviously he led a tortured life that we didn't know until we knew. And, and yeah. it's sad. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate that a lot of brilliant people like that are walking that, that line, right. And, and become tortured almost because of probably a lot of people don't understand. Um, and it's unfortunate, but he, he brought a lot of smiles and laughter to a lot of people. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I agree. Yeah. Breaking that out here, parting wisdom for anybody. You got any, anything to, to say for right now for people, especially in this I, I, I knew, time? I knew you, yeah, I knew you were going to ask me this. I, I feel deeply uncomfortable with ever attempting to impart any wisdom. I, I think that would, that would mean that I would think that I'm actually wise. <laughs> and I think I'm, I'm learning every day, just like everybody else. Um, you know, I just, yeah. I, I, how about, how about I make a request? Not, not uh, a suggestion. I, I just, you know, as stupid as it sounds, be good to one another. Yep. Like it's just so ugly out there right now. Yeah. You know, I was walking out last night and there were people who were celebrating the fact that they were not abiding by the mask rule and coughing on people. And that was their act of power. That's how, you know, and you know, my first instinct is I, as I'm, as I'm angered, but then I also realize there must be something very deeply hurt in them. Right. That they, this is how they need to express their, their disenfranchisement. And I would just say, if everybody could just take a deep breath and try to be a little extra kind, that would be my, my request. And I'm trying to do that and I can be a hothead and I have a temper and stuff. So I'm, I'm trying to drink my own Kool-Aid there. That would yeah. be kind of it. No, that's, I, I agree. I mean, I think if we all just take a step back and realize that we're all human, right? That we're all doing the best we can the majority of the time and that um, the day goes a lot better when you're just a little bit nicer to everybody because of- uh, Even people you don't like if you're nicer to them. Yeah. Even people right. you don't like, being nicer to them actually makes your day better. 
Yeah. I never thought that was true, but it is. It's true. Very true. It's just like you bite your tongue a little bit and, and be a little bit nicer and, yeah. and you walk away with a smile because you were nice versus this is running some crazy like you for another 10 minutes, you know? So it's correct. It's, uh, it's amazing. Well, Hey Jason, I appreciate your time today. Um, it's always great to, you know, chat with you and, and get caught up. And, um, you know, like I said, I think the world of you and Jen, welcome back to Colorado. I'm fortunate. That you <laughs> Thank you. Got welcome back by, by some, somebody not behaving, you know, but such is life. Um, and uh, give Jen my best in regards, give her a hug and you guys, you know, stay safe, stay healthy, stay happy, you know, as you said, you know, so, um, and I wish you the best of luck with uh, the next venture and uh, the drumming and the, the band and, <laughs> and, and, you know, see what whatever else happens. So uh, I'm excited to see appreciate what it. happens. And those of you listening to will be playing some of his music on, on this. So. Good job, man. I appreciate you. Thanks, Buck. I appreciate you too. Yeah, have a good one. This is your host, Buck Adams. If you are interested in being a guest on the show, please contact us through artforredemption.com. Art for Redemption is an e-commerce platform for incarcerated artists. We are currently collecting art from artists nationwide to be showcased in the first ever coffee table book for this genre. Check us out at artforredemption.com.